0: In the world of gaming, MMORPGs hold a special place. MMORPG stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role Playing Game. Developed on a subscription model where users log on and pay a monthly fee, from their very beginnings these games consisted of players from all over the world coming together in a community to explore imaginary worlds. In the realm of MMORPGs, you might not find a more experienced and accomplished game creator than Bill Roper. Roper has been involved in MMORPGs since their earliest days with credits for working on such popular games as the Warcraft series, StarCraft, Diablo, and more. Currently, he is the chief creative officer at Cryptic Studios where he oversees design and production of popular online games like Champions Online, Star Trek Online, and more. Roper joined Cryptic in 2008 while working on Champions Online, an MMORPG that allows the user to become a superhero of their own design. Currently, he is listed as number 41 on IGN's top 100 game creators of all time. If you need a fantasy interactive world set up from the ground up, Bill Roper's is your man, and he joins us today. Welcome, Bill.
1: Thank you. Uh, really uh, really nice to be on the show.
0: So, very quickly, how would you describe MMORPGs being different than traditional console games?
1: I think really the, the biggest difference between uh, an MMO and a... Single-player RPG, obviously, is the second M, right? So it's massively multiplayer. I think, really, the evolution of of RPGs have led us to where we are with with uh, in being in the MMO space. you know, when, when, you, when you're younger, you get together. If you're playing a paper and pencil RPG, whether that's something like Dungeons & Dragons or Champions or GURPS or Savage Worlds or any of the hundreds of systems that exist, when you go out and play those, it's because you want to get together and spend time with your friends and play a game. And then usually what happens you get older. Maybe you don't have the same group of friends anymore. It's tougher to make that time. And what evolved out of that you know, 10, 15 years ago, when we started having these very powerful devices called computers in our houses, people were able to then create that same role-playing experience for an individual. And you'd go and you'd buy a cool RPG and you'd sit down and you'd play it where the computer represented all the enemies as opposed to a game master across the table, one of your buddies doing it or maybe you doing it. Then you had the computer that did that. Once connectivity really increased and the internet really came into its own, Game developers realized, hey, we could bring back that idea of having you playing with multiple people. And that's where the MMO really came in, where you could say so you could take that setting, uh, that fantasy environment, or that science fiction environment, or that western, or whatever it is that you wanted to to have in terms of a world you've built. And then the computer would be still the arbiter of all the monsters and the quests and the treasure and everything else that came out. But now you were able to play, as opposed to having to get everybody together in the same room, you know, on a Saturday night. You could just go online, play with your friends there, meet new people, and have this huge, gigantic graphic specifically rich world that's there. So I think really the biggest difference between some of the really excellent RPGs you see, and we still see today, you know, games like uh, Dragon Age is a really great recent example, both on the console and the PC, which has that rich story element and is there as that experience for a single player. With the MMO, it's all about how do we get a ton of people together and then get them to play in this persistent living world that is online where you can really literally hang out with your friends from uh, all over the world.
0: Along with that same line, one of the early alarming things to parents and whatnot when their teens or young adults would always play video games was that on console games, they tended to sometimes, when you overplayed, they would be very isolating. But MMORPGs, by definition, are kind of social entities. Do you really think of this type of interaction that occurs in MMORPGs as truly social in the way people have traditionally thought about it?
1: I think it really is for the most part. Obviously the difference that you have is there's no actual physical proximity or contact, right? I I can't literally reach across and give my friend a high five when we do something together in the game because you know, he might he might be in a different part of the state or a different part of the, the world altogether, but they are amazingly social. In fact, it's very common for if the game does not Support it internally on its own for there to be using uh, programs like Ventrilo to have chat going on at the same time, or Skype, just like you and I are using for the interview today. So you'll have a whole group of people on talking with each other, uh, having that that verbal communication and those cues. And a lot of people, you know, if you're not doing that, then you're typing back and forth. So it's basically just a different medium, but you have all those fantastic things about typical social networks. And in fact, that's one of the the biggest focuses that you'll, you'll hear if you ever sit down and talk with developers of MMOs, is how do we make sure that this is a very social experience, that there are ways for players to help each other, to reach out, to share experiences. You know, it's all about building a community. And so I think that's a a really fun and strong part about that. And you see that not only happen on the most casual stances, but you can meet people that have, just like any other social setting, uh, have met through MMOs and developed long-lasting relationships and in some cases gotten married. The
0: MMO is based on a subscription model. You pay a monthly fee or or however interval fee to uh, get online and play the game. So for MMORs, even more than console games specifically, it's more important, or at least as important, to get the person not just to try the game out, but to continue playing once they've started playing. How do you attack that problem as a game producer?
1: Well, I, I think there's a couple of different ways that you go at that. The single biggest one is by having the game itself be a fun and compelling experience, something that you enjoy doing and you, you want to come back and, and do more and you really like. I think that that in itself, though it sounds simple, is a huge challenge, especially in the MMO space where there is a lot of competition. When you first launch a massively multiplayer game, you're... Hoping to launch with a couple of hundred of hours of things for for players to do, which is kind of crazy you know that somebody can log on and and the first day I say, "Oh I've got you know two hundred hours of content that I can go through, places I can go and right. things that i can I can do and then past that then you want to have something that's engaging for them when their character has reached the maximum level and it's really this giant monster you have to feed right you're constantly having to make new content and provide new experiences and come up with new gameplay systems and and that's really the the, a huge challenge but is something that you need to engage players and then once you've Hopefully, got a good foundation for that or have accomplished that. Then the other thing really is making sure that there are really good ways for players to have those social interactions. That's why it's so important. You know, The subscription fee is really there as the continuing business model which allows the development companies to keep making more and more and more stuff for the players to go experience. But really the thing that keeps them there is the community that builds up which is more than just the relationship between the player and the game or the game developer but the players and each other. So you really have to find ways to encourage and reward players for for getting together and doing stuff, and you know, joining a group of other friends and making a guild, or you know, teaming up even just randomly with other people, and I think that there's a lot of tools that are required for that, and a lot of things that we learn as game developers from other social networks that aren't even games, social networks like Facebook, or you know, even just how people normally interact with each other. There's a, a interesting amount of psychology that gets kind of thrown in the mix uh, when you're designing an MMO.
0: Along those same lines, then. Uh, are there like little, I guess not things that even the public would even notice, but as a game designer, you go in knowing that this is something you have to take care of. Are there like little cognitive considerations that go into game designing that kind of are designed to, if not necessarily to create content as much as just to keep you um interested a little bit and keep you playing so I mean little things like maybe if you were to go to a store you would notice that they don't necessarily have clocks everywhere so that you're always going to keep buying do you have little considerations like that whenever you develop a game
1: yeah, there there definitely are. There's all kinds of things you're thinking of. One I think that is always very powerful is showing players something they're going to be able to get, they can't quite get yet. And whether that is something that they could buy in a store in the game, whether that's an area that they can't get to, whether that's when you get a cape in a superhero game or when you get a mount in a fantasy game or when you're able to unlock a headquarters for your team. When you join a guild, you get some great flashy new effect on your character, whether there's achievements is another great one. For example, in World of Warcraft, if you're in a guild... And while you're just playing, if someone in your guild accomplishes an achievement, some milestone in their character's career, it notifies everyone in the guild. You get a message in your stream there, and everybody can be like, hey, woo, congratulations, way to go, you did a great job. And then you're like, man, what was that? And you can click on it and see what that achievement is and go, oh, I want to go do that, that looks really cool. So there's a lot of ways where you are kind of constantly showing players that there's so much more they can go do. And that even can be as simple as creating gameplay spaces where players will always return to, having a central hub for commerce and and social interaction in a game so that a player at level five is going to see a player who's level 70, right? And he'll see that other character and just say, wow, that guy's got some really cool stuff. I want to go get that. So it's uh, really uh, one of the ways we really try to do that is by constantly kind of giving you little sneak peeks into other things you can go do in the world that then gets you excited to to stick around and do that.
0: We'll be right back with more of our interview with game designer Bill Roper.
2: On behalf of the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation, I'm Allie Sheedy from The Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire, and Short Circuit. When CABF asked me to record this, I jumped at the chance to talk to you about stigma. It's everywhere, and the looks you get, And phone calls you don't when you're too manic or depressed to be in school. That's stigma, plain and simple. It's a form of discrimination. In my film Breakfast Club, I'm proud of the way we showed stigma for the ugly thing it is. Having a mood disorder isn't a choice, and peers need to learn that. So dare to be open, be who you are, and be understood. Tell people what it's like not to be supported when you're down, and help friends get a clue about you. Average is overrated. Your disorder gives you creative powers and heightened sensitivities that rock. Find the art in you because you can. You're going to be okay, more than okay. Please visit the Child and Adolescent Bipolar Foundation online at bpkids.org.
0: We now return to our interview with video game designer Bill Roper. In this half of the interview, we ask him about demographic shifts and his thoughts on video game addiction. In the games, at least that you've been involved in, have you noted any kind of demographic trends, of ratios of men to women, or shifting demographic trends and who's playing MMORPGs and how it's emerging?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been in the industry for oh, forever now, 16 years. <laughs> uh, and uh, when you know, when we first started, when I first started in the games industry, it was incredibly predominantly male. Like probably on the order of 95% of our audience were males between the ages of sixteen and twenty-two. Now, I think the interesting part of that is over that the last say ten to fifteen years, gaming isn't the dirty little secret that you keep buried under the stairs, right? It used to be certainly when I grew up, and people would say, Oh, well, uh, you know, what do you what do you do for a living when I first got in the industry? Oh, I make video games. And I'm like, Oh, you make video games. That's do you have a do you have a backup career plan or you know? Uh, and now I go. Oh, I make video games. Oh, what game? Oh, cool. Can you get me in the beta? And you know, we all grow up playing games. And I think that now what we're seeing is that there is an increased acceptance for that. You know, now it's actually perfectly fine for playing video games. You know, or playing MMOs to be your recreation, just like you know, reading or going to movies or you know watching your favorite tv show you can be a gamer and that's not a weird thing anymore and so i I think that's that's really a, a huge change in what we've seen and it's increased our demographic you know now we see that the average gamer range is literally in that depending on the game and the genre but you know it is classically that 16 to to 35 range, you know, it's that that big demographic that advertisers like. Right, you know, right. And right. that kind of thing. It has definitely skewed much more towards having uh, women play more than just men. So, you can see on the order of again, depending on the game, anywhere from you know, if you're looking at a, at a an MMORPG, you know you might have uh, somewhere in the 15 to 20 percent range of players that are female. If you're going over onto like the Facebook application games, like uh, like Farmville, for example, more than 50 percent of their players are women, and they tend to be uh, even older. They kind of tend to start falling into that uh, what gets thrown around as the soccer mom category, right? Right. You know, women in their in their uh, you know early 30s, for example. And so it's really changed and. And I think that's the thing that's exciting about it is that we continue to – to broaden the scope of people we make games for. And you can even see that in MMOs. You know, a lot of MMOs get made with classically with like here, I'm, we're making an MMO for that male demographic for those guys that we're used to making games for. But we've seen a lot of other MMOs that have been successful over the years. Uh, Toontown is one that comes to mind for me. That was a, an MMO that was made specifically for kids, you know, kind of up through the the preteen years Right. Um, that Disney did. And they made a lot of considerations that took into account the age of their market. They wouldn't let you freely chat, for example. You had pull-downs that you would choose from. So they kind of were able to, you know, make sure people weren't on there saying things that they didn't want their audience to see. But the content was all geared towards that. The you know, the difficulty was geared towards that. And the social interactions were geared towards that. So I think that's kind of as, you know, we, we are now getting into this generation of there are now parents who are raising their kids. And both of them game, and they game together. And that's, to me, I think is just a really awesome thing. Just like, you know, 20 years ago, dad would be out in the yard throwing the ball back and forth at his son. Now it's also, you know, very likely that they're raiding together and trying trying to go kill a dragon in an MMO.
0: You've been in the field quite a while now. Over your time, what are your thoughts on this kind of emerging idea of of video game addiction? And do you think it's it's something that you have seen increase or decrease? And what should people be on the lookout for And from an inside the uh, designer's perspective of, of that type of issue?
1: I definitely think that it is just like anything else you can overindulge. Right. Just right. just like you can spend too much time doing anything, just like you can eat too much and watch too much TV and not go outside. You know, it's said all things in moderation. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that by design, MMOs are engaging. Right. We're working very hard to make it something that people see a value in, in wanting to do every day if they want even just for a little bit every day they want to come back and keep playing and right. and build up those social interactions and i think that there is that opportunity with a video game just like many other great things in life for someone who has kind of has that that personality if that's a way to put it you know they you can uh kind of quote unquote get addicted you know you're like oh right. man i can't wait to go play tonight i can't wait to do this and and it really does have to be that all things in moderation. I find that people that react that way to games will have that happen with many, many other things in their life. They're that same person you talk to, and right. as soon as they get into something new, they have dived in whole hog, and they're doing it at every waking moment, and that is their life right then. you know. And so this happens to be You know, gaming happens to be the thing that they're doing now or whatever game they're playing. So it it really is, I think, you know, and you, you see a lot of things that game companies do now to try to, you know, kind of combat that, you know, putting a clock somewhere in your interface so people can actually see what time it is easily or have a way to easily call up a clock. It's always the classic thing they talk about in Las Vegas, for example, where there's right. no clocks anywhere. Right. So you don't, you never know what time it is, and you're like, oh, and it's always kind of lit the same, and oh, sure, it could be four in the morning, but I don't really realize it because right,
0: right.
1: You know the atmosphere there. It's actually interesting in Asia, and China very specifically, actually has a lot of regulations that you have to build into your game, even to the point where every two hours it will pop up a message huh. to the player reminding them, they might want to take a break and go outside or walk around or, you know, step away from the computer for a little while because they're very concerned with that concept, of, you know, and, and they have that that worry that people will sit there and play for, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 hours. But I think that that is just like in anything, you're going to find people that have extreme reactions or are going to be in that addictive mindset so I, I do think that you can see that and i think it's actually something that the games industry is very aware of and we actually take steps to you know we want we want our players around for a long time right, want, right right I gotcha. we don't want them addictive and destructive
0: finally you guys got a market in online gaming one thing we see with consoles and mmorpgs and even more, just social networking sites in general is that they're all starting to overlap. Do you foresee a time when, like, Champions Online will be able to be played on? the xbox and you'll be able to just access it from a button on facebook and then just be able to just be seamlessly interact no matter where you go you'll be able to do it
1: i think that that there are certainly pushes in that direction the the biggest challenge of course being the differences in the platforms the pc and the xbox are actually pretty close the biggest challenge is honestly starts coming down to business models Right, which is maybe a, a little dry and boring, but right. it's easier now to make a game that is as playable and accessible on the PC as it is the console. And for example, because the Xbox and the PC are so close together, you could have them playing against each other fairly easily, as long as it's a game that the, the interface is where a, a mouse and a keyboard doesn't give you some kind of advantage over right. a controller. Right. But the actual technology of hooking them up to playing and the compatibility is is relatively simple. The challenges that happen there is getting your publisher to work with Microsoft and how do people get paid and blah, 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 and a lot of stuff. In terms of then linking in with things like playing the same game through Facebook and a browser of things, then you're just starting to deal with, can I do the same thing on Facebook as I can on my Xbox? And I think that there is an area where the technology all crosses over enough, where games were simple enough. I mean, certainly, you know, if you look at kind of the more simple perennial games, right, Uh, I'll use Scrabble as an example play that anywhere. On my PC, on my Xbox, on my on my iPhone, through Facebook. If that was a push for someone that said, Hey, we made this really fun game mechanic that you can play over and over again, and I can do it from anywhere, there's no reason you couldn't have people from all those areas not only playing against each other, but then comparing statistics from all those different areas. You know, you can have the World Scrabble Championship and and no matter where you're playing from, we're also starting to see devices interact with each other. So what actually made me think of Scrabble was that there is a Scrabble game that's on the iPad that also works with your iPhone or iTouch. And you hold your iPhone or your iTouch, and that's where your tiles are that you look at. And then when you want to play them, the iPad is actually the game board. And so you kind of take them and flip them from your phone, and it uses... You know, the Bluetooth technology and goes, oh, phoom, there it goes. Click, 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 goes uh-huh. on the table and you move it around the iPad. Right now, that's an extremely expensive Scrabble game. Right. But, uh, you know, it, the, the thing is, it, it's right now, game designers are starting to look at how can we take different pieces of technology, whether they're associated like iPad and iPhone are, or whether they're disparate technologies like, you know, Facebook and cell phones and PC games and link them up. I mean, you you do see applications that will are already designed to in some ways link those together on my uh, on my Android. I can call up my World of Warcraft character and show it to somebody. Right. So I can go and grab that information and display it on my phone. They're will be a time very soon where you'll have some part of the game at least be able to be accessed and played from my phone. It would be a very simple thing, for example, to maybe have in an MMO where crafting is important, where building right. things is part of the gameplay, where I could actually just have an app on my phone that let me just do the building of things mechanic. Maybe I can't go explore the world everywhere and fight and do all that kind of stuff, but it's like, oh, right, I want to craft for my character. Well, I'm going to sit here at lunch, you know, or on the bus ride to work, and i'm gonna i'm gonna do some crafting because that's a, a much easier interface but then it links back into my character in the pc games when i log in oh there's all the stuff i just built for myself so i think we'll definitely see that in the in the extremely near future
0: bill roper thank you so much
1: my pleasure man this is uh, this has been a lot of fun